Good morning and welcome to Atheist Talk on KTNF AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Good morning to all of you joining us locally by radio and streaming online. We appreciate you tuning in. Today is Sunday, June 9th, 2019. Happy end of the world for everybody. I am your host, Hertzy Hertz, here in studio with Travis Peterson. And joining us via Skype is author and attorney for the Freedom From Religion Foundation, Andrew Seidel. This is an open conversation, and we welcome and encourage listener interactions with your phone calls to 952-946-6205, your emails to radio at mnatheist.org, tweet us at Atheist Talk, or check out the Facebook page, Atheist Talk. The phone number is only available when we are live, but you can always email, tweet, or check out the Facebook, whether we're live or you're listening to the podcast. Andrew Seidel works as a constitutional attorney for the Freedom of Religion Foundation, litigating cases involving religion and the Constitution. He has appeared on Fox & Friends, MSNBC, The O'Reilly Factor, as well as numerous radio shows, including this one. He speaks and writes extensively about religious freedom and has been profiled on the BBC News, BuzzFeed, International Business Times, and more. He lives in Somewhere, <laughs> Andrew uh, at his twi- Twitter, Andrew L. Seidel on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Andrew, Travis, welcome to Atheist Talk. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure. Well, Andrew, you know, just cracking the book open right away. I mean, I, I really enjoyed reading the book. It's a, it's a deep insight into, into what's happening in the country right now. But opening the book right away, you know, I got to say, kudos, kudos on the people you got to got to write for you, <laughs> Susan Jacoby and Dan Barker, uh, you know, fantastic, fantastic gets on, on that deal. Susan Jacoby's, you know, everyone listening to this show is gonna gonna recognize that name. You know, how how do you pull that off? Uh, well, Susan is now kind of a dear friend and mentor. She wasn't when I started the the journey on this book, and I was telling her about this book that I was writing when we crossed paths at a convention, and she was really interested in it. And I had just kind of a couple questions that I wanted to run by her as a, you know, really well respected author and published author, and she just dove right in um, and gave me her email and address. And I was heading to New. I happened to be heading to New York the next month, and. We ended up having lunch um, that also went into basically dinner. Uh, <laughs> we, we talked for hours and hours, and she really encouraged me to think bigger with the book than I was. It was initially just going to be a pretty much a publication for the Freedom From Religion Foundation. FFRF was going to publish it, and she said, no, this is a book that the country needs. You, you owe it not just to yourself, but to everybody to try to get a mainstream publisher to put this out and get this message out to everybody. Right. Uh, and so she's really uh, been a huge uh, mentor and, and had a big role in this book. Well, anybody who's ever talked to her knows that once you get her going, there's no stopping her like, <laughs> like in, in any in any way. But, it's uh, definitely true. you know, and then, you know, when Dan Barker tells you to do something, you know, you, you absolutely do it. So I guess I have to ask you the question. You, you, you know, you were a, you were a park ranger. How many basketballs will fit in the Grand Canyon? So I wasn't a park ranger. I was a Grand Canyon tour guide. Oh, small, tour guide. Uh, but yeah, one hundred trillion. <laughs> that is a lot of basketballs. Basketballs will fit in the Grand Canyon. That's that's how much dirt and rock is missing from that hole. Well, I guess <laughs> let's let's jump right in and just get everybody up to speed with with what it is. Can, what is your definition of Christian nationalism? How do, how do we define this for people? Christian nationalism is it's pretty basic. It's the idea that the United States was founded as a Christian nation. If you believe that, you are a Christian nationalist. But but there's more to it when you talk about it as a political movement. It's not just that idea that we're founded as a Christian nation, founded on Judeo-Christian principles. It's also that we've strayed from that founding and that we somehow have to get back to our godly roots. And and that that language of return and and revision is how they justify their political the- theology and their public policy. So the, the goal is to redefine America according to the Christian nationalist identity and then reshape the law accordingly. Well, I guess I guess the first thing that, that pops into my into my head there is like when was this this panacea? When when were we this uh, the, the the type of Christian nation that that these people want to bring us back to. Well, we ne- we never were. 
And, and, and that's part of the problem for the Christian nationalists. The, the idea that America was founded as a Christian nation is central to its hold on political power. But it has no historical support. We just have to expose it. And without, because without the historical support, many of their policy justifications begin to crumble. And without this common well of myths and lies that they dip into and that they are using to try to redefine the American identity, their identity will wither and fade. And these are all myths and lies that everybody listening right now has heard before. It's uh, the idea that the founders prayed during the Constitutional Convention, that George Washington prayed in the snow at Valley Forge, uh, that the Declaration of Independence references our creator four different times, in God we trust, one nation under God. It's this common well of lies and myths. Well, I mean, I know that, like, when you're talking about justifying, you know, the the actions, especially of the the government for you know, uh, with with a nationalist bent, you know, like I, I remember, you know, Jeff Sessions talking about, uh, you know, a, 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 almost a, a biblical justification for the separation of, of migrant children from their from their families. You know, no, at, not, at, not at the almost, border. not almost a biblical justification, a literal biblical justification. Yeah, what did he say? Ro- they were citing Romans, and that actually comes from. The White House Bible study. I wrote a piece about this for Think Progress because I've been studying the White House Bible study. That's that's one area where you are seeing Christian nationalism infecting our public policy. But it's also um, at, at many other places that people are familiar with the the Muslim ban. That's Christian nationalism. I actually talk about that in the first chapter of the book. The move of the embassy to Jerusalem, that's Christian nationalism. Everything that is pretty much happening in the Department of Education right now, Christian nationalism. All the abortion stuff that we're seeing at the state level, Christian nationalism being put into practice. It's, 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 and the crazy thing about this is really before 2016, this was a much weaker political movement than uh, after the 2016 election. Oh, side note about the moving the capital of, of Israel to Jerusalem or trying to, to make the capital of Israel Jerusalem. That piece is quite possibly one of the ones that makes me laugh the hardest because that is they're actually trying to bring forth the end of the world with that because mm-hmm. one of the signs of the Christian apocalypse is that Jerusalem will be recognized as a capital. Yep. <laughs> Happy rapture, everybody. Remember that's today <laughs> again. <laughs> well, you know, like, um, I, I guess then let me, let's talk just a little bit quick about, uh, like who who are the prime movers in this in this uh, you know like who who do you see as as the prime movers in this in this movement of Christian nationalism in the United States? Well, I mean, obviously, there's Donald Trump and Mike Pence, um, and you know Jeff Sessions was when he was in there, and uh, Rick Perry. Pe- people, you know the names, and you've you've heard them spout this Christian nationalist rhetoric. Uh, we are founded on the Ten Commandments. We are founded on the Bible, but. Really, it's it's the everyday Americans that are the Christian nationalists that are that are driving this more. Uh, you know, it, I, I mentioned the 2016 election. The number one indicator of a Trump voter in the 2016 election was not race. It wasn't religion, despite how much we hear about evangelicals supporting Trump. And it wasn't even political party. It wasn't being a Republican. It was if you believe the United States was a Christian, founded as a Christian nation, that was the best indicator that you were going to vote for Donald Trump. So he is president because of Christian nationalism. So to these people that are voting this way, this is like beyond everything else, or maybe it's just all encompassing. This is the number one reason to vote for someone. Well, we don't know if it's driving the vote, but we we know that if you of all the questions you could ask somebody coming out of a polling location, if you ask them, do you think America was founded as a Christian nation? That was the best indicator that they would have voted for Donald Trump. And it, it does serve as a proxy for all of these other issues that we were talking about. Uh, these issues that are on the, uh, con- that are important to conservative politics and important to conservative religion. You know, there's this massive overlap. That is also why you see so many white evangelicals supporting Trump. So it, it's, it, we don't know if it's motivating them, but I do know for a fact that their entire political and ideological reality is weak and vulnerable because it's based on all these historical distortions and lies that I've mentioned. And so that's actually the purpose of the founding myth is it has a simple but a lofty goal, and it's to utterly destroy the myths that underlie this un-American political ideology. That's what I set out to do. Well, why don't you let pick a couple? Pick your favorite. Pick your favorite myths. What 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 shocked you when you were were looking into this? 
Well, I, I, and I got to say, there's not much shocking that you, you hear out of Christian nationalism. It, everything. All the arguments are a few thousand years old, are they? No, I mean, no <laughs> joke. They, they do not have any new arguments. And, and, that, and that's part of the reason that I, I also wanted to write the book is because this is what makes the founding myth different. Previous books, they've offered gentle corrections to the Christian nationalists. You know, this is what history tells us. This is what the founders actually meant. And here's what the founders, they actually said. That's a fake quote, you guys. Come on. And, but then those books have left it at that. The problem is, is that correction is not enough, right? Otherwise, Christian nationalism wouldn't have elected Donald Trump. There's, so pointing out errors is insufficient. So this book does that, but then I take the next step. And this book goes on the offensive. The founding myth is an assault on the Christian nationalist identity. Not only are Christian nationalists wrong, but their beliefs and identity run counter to the ideals on which this nation was founded. They are un-American. And I think we need to be stating that pretty plainly. Yeah, I, I completely agree. The, there's, we're not going to win anything back by you know standing aside and letting this, uh, letting this continue. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, when you hear, you know, things like, you know, the, even things like just the prayer breakfast and the, 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 the White House Bible study happening, you, you just mm-hmm. know that these, these are the places that these things are, are fermenting, you know, and, and uh, working their way into the society. Absolutely. And, you know, you, you asked me for my favorite uh, Christian nationalist myth. And there, there's just there's so many to choose from. There's the prayer that goes back to the Constitutional Convention. Andrew? Yes. I hate to do this, but we're going to oh, yeah. have to yeah, wait yeah. for your, your favorite until after the commercial break. This is a great cliffhanger. Yeah. Uh, but please stay <laughs> with me time to think about it. Too. Yeah. <laughs> please stay with us through the break. We'll return to Atheist Talk with Travis Peterson and Andrew Seidel. Thank you. Hello, humans. This is me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2.0 Radio on Monday mornings from 7 to 8 a.m. This week, I'll talk about an idealist, Scott Warren, who the federal government has prosecuted for helping migrant humans that come to America via the Arizona desert. I'll also talk about another idealist, Elizabeth Brenner, whose family tragedy spurred her to activism to protect students studying abroad. Ellie 2.0 Radio, engaging and real on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You're listening to AM950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the most informative source for progressive politics and news in the Twin Cities. Get involved online at am950radio.com where you can sign up for our weekly newsletter. Check out the local businesses that help make this content available and stay up to date on the latest news and upcoming events. You can always reach us by email at comment at am950radio.com. That's comment at am950radio.com. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Matt McNeil, and I want to encourage you to join me weekday afternoons at 3 p.m. for The Matt McNeil Show. It's a Twin Cities-based full hour of talk where we discuss what's going on in the state and in the nation from a Minnesota perspective. We'll be joined by a lot of great guests, and we'll take your phone calls. Interact with us on the Twitter page, at Matt McNeil Show, the Facebook page, Progressive Citizen X, The Matt McNeil Show, and on email, comment at am950radio.com. The Matt McNeil Show, weekday afternoons at 3, right here on AM 950. Hi, my name is Mickey McCabe, and I'm the owner of Cucumbers Restaurant at 75th and Francine Dinah. If you've never been to Cucumbers, it's a buffet-style restaurant with a huge variety of salads, homemade soups, bakery items, and hot entrees that change daily and nightly, plus our always fresh fruit and delicious ice cream. We're open for lunch and dinner, but Sunday brunch is my favorite time at Cucumbers. With scrambled eggs, waffles, French toast, bacon, sausage, baked ham, chicken fajitas, brunch potatoes, warm gooey cinnamon rolls, and many other items to choose from, it's no wonder why Cucumbers has always been a popular Sunday destination. So whether you're looking to skip Mass, someplace to go after Mass, or just great food to maintain your Mass, Cucumbers is the answer to your prayers. Bring in your church bulletin or Minnesota Atheist newsletter and receive a $2 discount off the buffet price. Cucumbers, one heavenly buffet at 75th and France, Nedina. 
Don't believe in God? Join the club. Humanists, atheists, and freethinkers have joined the American Humanist Association since 1941 to advocate for progressive values and equality for non-theists in America. Located in Washington, D.C., the American Humanist Association lobbies Congress on humanist issues, protects the rights of atheists in the courts, and supports more than 140 local chapters. Visit us at AmericanHumanist.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter to learn how you can join the club today. Welcome back to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You're tuned in to Atheist Talk. I'm your host, Tertsy Hertz. In studio with me is Travis Peterson, and via Skype is Andrew Seidel. Atheist, whoop, Sam's waving. One second. I think we might have lost Andrew. <gasps> oh, okay. Sad face. We'll, we'll... He said give him 60 seconds. Okay, well, that's great, because I have can pretty sure I can make this intro into 60 seconds. <laughs> if not, uh, Atheist Talk is produced with funding from Minnesota Atheists and Cucumbers Restaurant in Edina, Minnesota. Please consider visiting our sponsors, and if you do, let them know you appreciate their support of Atheist Talk. If you'd like to advertise on the program and help keep us on the air, please contact us at radio at mnatheist.org. As for the here and now, if you'd like to get involved in the conversation with Travis and Andrew this morning, you can call us at 952-946-6205, email us at radio at mnatheist.org, or tweet us or check out the Facebook Atheist Talk. So it looks like Sam is just finishing up getting Andrew back on the line. So Travis, before we went on the break, we were asking him what his favorite Christian myth is. Do you have any, do you have like, like me, because you've read the book, I'm guessing, right? Mm, yep. Which is great because I haven't yet. I might steal your copy. Do you have maybe a prediction as to what his favorite myth will be? I know what I know what mine is. But. Well, as far as, I don't know about a myth, but like uh, the, the, I, the myth in, in Christian nationalism is, is tacking on uh, the, the term Judeo at the beginning of it, which is what I really want to get his, his view on. Uh, you know, because the, the, those things are kind of diametrically opposed. You know, if you really boil them down to their to their base components, you know, the the idea of being uh, you know, of, of Judaism is to reject Christianity at, at its at its highest points. You know, like, like they're they're not uh, compatible. You know, when, no. when when you boil it down, they have the same history and the same upbringing, but when you get to the main points, it's uh, you know, they're, they're, there's no saving salvaging the relationship. You know. What about you? what about you? Um, I think the thing that I like the most is the 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 whole. I mean, I guess it's kind of the whole thing because it's like the everyone's like, oh, the Constitution doesn't specifically state these words, and yep. it's one of those. It's like if if someone was like, you get a time machine, you get to go back and talk to the founding fathers. What's the first thing you say? I'm like, be more clear. Yeah, well, Andrew- you need to write this down as clearly as humanly possible. And I hear Andrew laughing, which means he's going to tell me how wrong I am. About this, yeah. which I'm totally okay yeah, with. Yeah, please tell Hertie how wrong she is. Can can, can you do that well, for us, Andrew? I mean, the, the Constitution, they left it deliberately vague in part because they couldn't agree on a lot of it. But the one thing that they could agree on, the one thing they could agree on was the separation of state and church. And, and yeah, they didn't use those words, but I mean, they also, the, the word Christmas doesn't appear in the Bible and somehow there's still a war on that that needs to be fought every year. <laughs> By the way, if so, you go back in the archives, you will find a great radio play about the war on Christmas, yeah, well, the fall of Frosty. No, let's do that. <laughs> Uh, well, can you can you speak to what I was talking about? Like, uh, have they hijacked the, the the term Judeo in the beginning of Judeo Christian values when they when they yeah, tra- when they, they you know, trot that out? Have. Yeah, I mean, so that term really you you see it enter the American conscience after World War II when to say Christian principles or Christian America or a Christian nation had this all of a sudden ominous sound to it when you're talking about the exclusivity at post-World War II after the Holocaust. And so you started seeing people tack Judeo onto it. Uh, And we know that that's really what what they were doing at the time. And Christian nationalism is still doing that. They don't really mean Judeo-Christian. They actually mean Christian. And I kind of, I lay out some examples that where they've slipped up. and, And I show that in the first chapter of the book. But you're absolutely right that Judaism is Judaism because it rejects the idea that Jesus is the Messiah. 
Christianity is Christianity because it accepts the idea that Jesus is the Messiah. And the, so, I mean, there's that's the biggest fundamental disconnect. And well, the the thing that that kills me about it is that the 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 same the exact same distinction can be made with with Islam that the you know the that yes. Muhammad is the prophet, and in Christianity, Jesus is the prophet, and in Ju- Judaism, the prophet hasn't shown up yet. You know, but they don't say Judeo-Christian is you know Islamic values. You know, it's it's exactly. just pulling Judaism out of the out of the cupboard. I mean, and and you're you're precisely right. And I don't think I mean you can you can guess how Christian nationalists would react if we were to call <laughs> this a Christo-Islamic nation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would that would not go over well. Um, <laughs> Please note that all opinions are the guests and hosts only. Do not reflect those <laughs> of the atheist organization. Um, well, if you you know if, if, if you know to to tack that on like. Yeah, especially after World War War Two, when you were talking about like, was it was it a shock to the country like to to hear Christian values when they were seeing you know SS belt buckles with God with us you know like stamped on them like was that why were they you know they were hijacking a, a, another culture? No, I mean I think they were they were doing it because they realized that that Christianity sounded so exclusive, and there is this element too of circling the wagons in the in. In light of godless communism, right? Any uh, there's there's a quote in the book about that from Eisenhower, where um, basically he's he's saying something along the lines of "I don't care what your our country was based on some religion, I don't care what religion it was." You know, there there it, it's got to be something. So, uh, which which is not true, and and it's frustrating because uh, one of our nation's greatest contributions to the world and to political science is the founding of a secular republic that. Went out of its way to separate state and church. You know, the the idea of keeping state and church separate was was floating around in the ether of the Enlightenment, but it had never been put into practice before. It had never been tried. We were the first nation to do that. The wall of separation between state and church is an American invention, and it's something that every American ought to be proud of and willing to defend instead of denigrating and trying to bury under this wave of Christian nationalist myths and lies. Well, I mean, we, you know, did load up a, a bunch of boats and sailed here to get away from it. Um, it, it, it seems, you know, antithetical to the to the idea of, of the founding to uh, to now be be trying to go back to this this great day when you know we lived under a theocracy. You know, it, uh, it it's it's hard to to square the the circle of this, but you know, here we are. And and actually, you know, that's one of my one of my one of my favorite myths that I talk about in the book is, you know, we 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 talk about the the pilgrims and the Puritans a lot and talk about how they came to this country seeking religious liberty, which is not quite true, right? They they actually had religious liberty where they were. They didn't come from England. They fled England and then they went to Leiden in Holland, which was at the time one of the most tolerant countries on earth. Um, they had the ability to exercise their religion freely. And because they did, they were losing a lot of their congregation, right? People, people don't want to adhere to this strict, ridiculous religion when you're in this great, you know, thriving metropolis and there's all these other, uh, fun things to do. So they actually, they fled Leiden uh, and and by way of England, eventually ended up in the New World. And we and when they got there, they set up theocracies, the, these grim monocultures that enforced uniformity and their particular religion. And when the founders, 150 years later, were looking at how to build our country, they looked at the Puritans and Pilgrims and said, "That is not what we want to do." It was an example of how not to build a government and a society and a country. Um, and, and we've kind of, we've flipped that as a nation and sort of said that they came for religious liberty, which they didn't. They, they certainly were fleeing religious persecution, fine, but they were not coming to establish a democracy. They were coming to establish a theocracy. They just wanted it to be to the right kind of religions. All right. Well, we will return right after the break. We'll return with Travis and Andrew's title. Please stay with us. This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell. Freddie, this generation of the baby boomers, people are living longer, so the baby boomers are taking care of elderly parents. Let's talk about your health, and specifically, let's talk about Medicare. 
Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, and even entertainment. Catch New Beginnings with Freddie Bell, Saturdays at 11 on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Connections Radio Show is all about tapping into our hardwired hunger to connect. We examine meaningful connections to ourselves, our community, and the world around us by opening the door to innovative insights by a wide variety of interesting guests. We'll make the connections to something bigger than ourselves. Join me, Lori Fitz, your host of Connections Radio Show, and together we'll make the connections. Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. I'm Candy Braffel, publisher of the Twin Cities edition of Natural Awakenings magazine and host of Green Tea Conversations, a new show for people who are on a journey to take responsibility for their health and play a more active role in their family's well-being. Join me every Sunday at 10 a.m. as I interview local experts who share the latest in natural holistic approaches in a fun and informative way. So grab a cup of tea and join the conversation as we awaken to natural health. Visit us at naturaltwincities.com. Atheists, secular humanists, and free thinkers. Here you are listening to the Minnesota Atheists Talk Radio Show. Atheists Talk. We hope you are enjoying it. If having a frankly atheist perspective on the radio waves appeals to you, please consider making a contribution to our radio fund. Our contract came up for renewal, and we need your help if you want the program to stay on the air. That will make sure that you can continue to have opportunities to hear interesting speakers with non-religious perspectives, and you can call up and ask them questions, too. Get the details on our website at minnesotaatheists.org, where you will find buttons to make it easy to make a secure donation through PayPal. Or, if you have a business and would like to reach an intelligent, progressive audience, please contact us through our website. That's minnesotaatheists.org. Or call us at 612-588-7031. If you are interested in us, we are interested in you. Don't believe in God? Join the club. Humanists, atheists, and freethinkers have joined the American Humanist Association since 1941 to advocate for progressive values and equality for non-theists in America. Located in Washington, D.C., the American Humanist Association lobbies Congress on humanist issues, protects the rights of atheists in the courts, and supports more than 140 local chapters. Visit us at AmericanHumanist.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter to learn how you can join the club today. With your AM 950 weather, I'm Sam Turnberg. Today is mostly cloudy with a high near 73, while tonight's mostly cloudy with a low around 51. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 76. Tuesday, cloudy with a high near 74. And Wednesday, partly sunny with a high near 67. The Eat Local Minnesota Restaurant of the Week is Burger Moe's. Located in downtown St. Paul, Burger Moe's is the perfect neighborhood gathering spot before or after XL Energy events. Come visit them at 242 West 7th Street in St. Paul or more info at BurgerMoe's.com. Thank you for tuning in to Atheist Talk on AM 950 KTNF. I'm your host, Hertzie Hertz, and we're having what I would classify as a fascinating conversation with Travis Peterson and Andrew Seidel. If you'd like to get involved in the conversation with Travis and Andrew, this morning you can call us at 952-946-6205, email us at radio at mnatheist.org, or tweet and or Facebook us at Atheist Talk. Before we continue this conversation, there is some housekeeping I need to attend to. I'd like to note our dedicated group of volunteers and the generous donations of you, our listeners. You help keep Atheist Talk on the air and in podcast form. If you are able to help with the donation, please consider doing so at either our fund, radio fund page or our Patreon, where you can get extended interviews at patreon.com slash Atheist Talk. Minnesota Atheist is a 501c3 tax-deductible organization. We couldn't do the show without you, and we deeply appreciate your support. Music for Atheist Talk is by composer and member Brent Michael Davis and is used with permission. Please note that all opinions are of the guest and host only and do not necessarily reflect the Minnesota Atheist organization. Now, let's get back with our conversation with Travis Peterson and Andrew Settle. And actually, we have, Andrew, this doesn't happen very often, but we have a call. <laughs> oh, great. Let's do it. Yes, we have a call from Jim from Minneapolis. Jim, you're on Atheist Talk. Good morning. Got a couple of points. Oh. First one, Travis mentioned German soldiers that, that said, their belt buckle said, God, with us, God is with us. Mm-hmm. In German, that's Gott mit uns. And during World War I, they would post signs that said that. Uh, outside their trenches, and the British would post signs that said, we got mittens too. 
<laughs> now, my question for Andrew is, does your book mention anything about David Barton? And please tell me you flay him alive. <laughs> please, no. Opinions are the guests and hosts only. <laughs> so so for, for people who don't, uh, don't know David Barton, David Barton is one of the more influential Christian nationalists out there. He is sort of the, the evil godfather of building these myths and lies that undergird the Christian nationalist identity. He is not a historian. He is not a pseudo-historian. He has a, I think it's a, a bachelor's from Oral Roberts, which is, you know, the big praying hands in the middle of the country school in religious education. Uh, so he is is not historically trained in any way, shape, or form. And I do... I rip apart all of the myths and lies uh, that he has promoted, for sure. One thing I tried not to do in the book was focus too much on the individuals on the other side, other than in the first chapter, um, when I'm explaining who these Christian nationalists are. But when I actually get to talking about, for instance, did the Ten Commandments influence the founding of our nation, or I'm going through the individual biblical principles that supposedly undergird the nation, or uh, the idea that uh, the three branches of government come from the Holy Trinity, I, I state their argument, and then I footnote and have, you know, 40 different people making that argument in the footnote, including David Barton. But I didn't want to spend my time ripping him to shreds. I care more about ripping his argument to shreds. Uh, that, that's the more important thing to do. And I don't want to focus, I didn't want to focus on the people. I wanted to focus on the ideas and tearing the ideas down. Uh, because it's too easy then to, to, for them, the other side, to talk about it as an ad hominem and dismiss it. Um, but when you're going after this central idea of their political theology, it's much harder for them to get away from it. Well, you know what? That's even better than what I had in mind. So but you, as, soon as, you will, as so soon as the show's over, I'm heading to Barnes & Noble. <laughs> Great. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> Thank right. you. Thank you, Jim. Uh, we actually also have an email from Steve. Uh, see, see, Steve says, Thank you for defending the Christian – or I'm sorry. Thank you for defining the Christian nationalists. <laughs> It's morning. Um, it is important to name the movement clearly. I'm amazed at how many how many who would not think themselves as a Christian nationalist but would still claim that they we are a Christian nation founded on Christian principles and the Ten Commandments are the base of our laws. These people may not be very religious but are gullible to, to that mythical narrative of the Christian nationalists. How do we counter these un, this uneducated narrative? Yeah, I mean, and that that's the purpose of this, this book. And I, first of all, uh, Steve identified an important point there. We, we've got to actually call Christian nationalism by its name. Um, you know, there are, there's a bunch of different names for this. You could call it dominionism, seven mountain dominionism, all these different things that you can call it. But when you use the phrase Christian nationalist, everybody knows instinctively what that is. They feel it in their gut, even if they don't get it. Uh, you know, word for word, the definition. They don't understand word for word, the definition. And... Since the 2016 election, Americans are waking up to the very real threat Christian nationalism poses. If you, uh, if you did a survey before the election, most people had never heard of it. But two months ago, Morning Consult released a survey that said that 47% of the country now views Christian nationalism as a threat to America. And how do we fight back against this narrative is, is what I'm trying to do in the book. So the central thing that I asked in the book was, did Judeo-Christian principles positively influence the founding of the United States? And the answer is no, they did not. America was not founded on Judeo-Christian Judeo -Christian principles, and it's a good thing we weren't. Because Judeo-Christian principles, and especially those that are really fundamental to the Christian nationalism, they are thoroughly opposed to the principles on which the United States was built. The two systems differ and conflict to such a degree that, and I say this bluntly in the book, Christianity is un-American. And, and that's the argument that I make. That's the founding myth. It's also the truth, but it gives us better arguments because we are saying, look, it's not just that you're wrong on the facts. It's that what you are arguing is un-American. It runs, it's counter to the values on which our nation was founded. And it takes back what it is to be an American from the Christian nationalist. Well, I mean, to to say that uh, you know 
it runs completely counter. Can you just like let's just yes. nail down an example of that? Yeah, I mean let's let's start with the Ten Commandments since that was mentioned. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. I mean, you could not write a law that is more in conflict with our First Amendment, for instance. Right. You, you can have any gods you want. You can have as many gods as you want. You can have no god. Uh, and you can go worship any of those gods that you want. That, that rule is antithetical to the First Amendment. It's antithetical to the freedom of religion and freedom from religion that we hold so dear in this country. And that's just the First Amendment. And you see it throughout the Ten Commandments. Uh, I mean, it, it, it goes on it goes on from there, and each of the Ten Commandments, especially the first five, uh, really are un-American. You shall have no other gods before me. Have as many as you want. You shall not make of yourself an idol. I mean, that is a rule that if you read the whole thing, and it, it really is, and this is something I talk about in the book, important to read all of the commandments all the way through, because there's a lot of stuff in there that people don't realize, uh, including you know, allowing slavery and punishing innocent children to the third and fourth generation, uh, which is, in my mind, pretty un-American. So, I mean, it, it continues on throughout that. And it's not just in the Ten Commandments, but other biblical principles that are un-American. The idea of hell versus cruel and unusual punishment. The idea of vicarious redemption through human sacrifice, which is all Jesus' death is, compared to the personal responsibility on which our entire system of justice is built. Original sin versus the presumption of innocence. Everywhere you look, it is this, there is this fundamental conflict between the principles of Judeo-Christianity and American principles. Uh, I was going to say we we might have uh, at least for this show a history making. We have two <laughs> calls. <laughs> we're lucky. I'll be I'll be honest. We're incredibly lucky if we will get like one. <laughs> um, not saying that we don't have listeners. We just you know don't have a lot of listeners who call in. Um, so we have David from San Francisco. Now, okay, I'm a native of Minnesota. I don't know if that's a Minnesotan city. <laughs> David, you have a question about the Ten Commandments. Welcome to Atheist Talk. Well, it's not so much a question. And, and by the way, I am out in California, San Francisco. Um, yeah, I'm uh, a big fan of Thomas Paine. And when you look at the uh, Bill of Rights, um, compared to the Ten Commandments, <coughs> excuse me, you, you realize that the Inquisition was a big part of how the uh, American Bill of Rights were put together. Uh, for example, the uh, you know your right to a trial by jury uh, was superseded by in the Inquisition. You had no uh, no public trial. The judge put a robe or a hood over his head, so you didn't even know who the judge was. You had no right to an attorney. Uh, it was based on the idea that if uh, if you were possessed by a demon, uh, possessed by the devil, then the devil might jump out of you and go in the judge, or <laughs> the devil might jump out of you and go into the jury, or the devil might jump into the prosecutor. So you you had no right to know your accuser uh, because the devil might jump into them. And you can just go it through the Bill of Rights uh, one by one and, and realize that they were, you know, the Ten Commandments may have had some honesty to them uh, or some, you know, some politics to them. Okay. But the Inquisition days totally superseded the honesty of them. All right. Well, and, well, thank, and, well, thank you, David, for that. And Andrew, do you want to make a comment? Yeah. One of the things I really tried to do in the book is I actually, in part three of the book, I walk you through, the reader through, every one of the Ten Commandments. And I show that every one of them does run counter to the Bill of Rights or to our Constitution or to American principles. Every single one including the ones that your listeners are thinking like, well, what about that one? Yes, including those. Uh, but you have to go get the book to, to understand why on those. But the first question that everybody really needs to ask when you hear the claim, America was founded on the Ten Commandments, the first retort out of your mouth should be, well, which ten? Because there are four sets of Ten Commandments in any given Bible. And then different religions interpret those commandments differently. Different religions number them differently. And these differences may seem minor, but there's, there's really no such thing as a small religious difference. 
right? <laughs> the, dif- the, the difference between prohibiting idols and prohibiting graven images, actually, there was a civil war basically in the church during the 8th and 9th centuries over that discrepancy. Uh, I mean, the difference between prohibiting murder and prohibiting killing is the difference between being able to defend yourself when somebody breaks into your house at night. Um, so there's no such thing as a small religious difference. Well, that's, I mean, and before when we were talking about Jeff Sessions using using these things to to justify his actions, um, you know that th- th- that's been used for you know the death penalty for years. That's that's one of the one of the ones I always remember. It's like, oh, well, you know, well, they, they, it's in the Bible. You know, like you can you can go back and, and find all these uh, capital punishment, uh, um, you know, excuses in the in in the Bible that that give people cover today for for supporting capital punishment. I mean, th- those are. They've been we've, this, we've been fighting this fight for a long time. And, you, you know, you bring up an interesting point there because – so, again, the central question that I ask is did Judeo-Christian principles positively influence the founding of the United States? And I, I ask that because most people listening probably can refute the idea that we're a Christian nation. But, but that's not enough. Otherwise, we wouldn't have President Donald Trump. So, so I wanted to go deeper. And by challenging that, that fallback position that we're founded on Judeo-Christian principles, it, you know, I – I have also undermined the Christian nation claim. But by asking it in the sense, did they positively influence, it allows me to concede areas where there is some influence from Judeo-Christian principles where, that we did see. So, for instance, the justifications for slavery, for segregation, and for the subjugation of women, the best ones were always religious throughout our history. Well, and there we was will, influence. Whoops, and we'll get right back to that after the break. We'll return with Travis Peterson and Andrew Sadel. Hi, this is Ken Hagland, host of Living Healthy and Aging Well, inviting you to listen to our new show airing on Saturdays from noon to one, where we talk about your health and your life and provide insights to living and aging well. Each week, we provide answers to important questions regarding health care, elder care, end-of-life care, and caregiver support to help you and your loved ones plan for the future and enjoy your highest quality of life today. Please join us every Saturday from noon to one for Living Healthy and Aging Well. Native Ritz Radio is proud to announce we've added an extra hour. Yeah, Chuchke, one hour goes by too fast. That's right, Uncle Curtis. I'll have extra time to share important information about our secret animals. And report national and native news from all over the country and Canada. This new hour is sponsored by Robbins Kaplan LLP, dedicated to redefining excellence for high-stakes litigation representation in Indian country. We are awake. Hi, my name is Mickey McCabe. I'm the owner of Cucumbers Restaurant at 75th and France in Edina. Many who have dined at Cucumbers are of the opinion that our buffet has evolved from an older, more country-style buffet. They look at our 50-foot salad bar and can imagine a smaller ancestor with far fewer choices. An ancestor that didn't offer as many hot selections or have a bakery with fresh-baked muffins and breads. Didn't offer homemade soups and lack the fresh fruit and ice cream bar that Cucumbers customers have grown to love. But some will say, where are the transitional buffets? In addition, they look at everything that we offer and say that cucumbers is irreducibly complex. If you were to move just one of our offerings, the entire buffet wouldn't function. Well, I would like to think that cucumbers was intelligently designed, since I helped design it. But at the same time, it truly is an evolutionary step up the buffet ladder. And as always, if you bring in your Atheist Newsletter or Church Bulletin, you will receive a $2 discount off the buffet price. Cucumbers, one heavenly buffet at 75th and France, Medina. I've never met another atheist. Sure you have. Non-believers make up 12% of the population. Then where are they? You can meet us at book clubs, pub crawls, discussion groups, movie nights, monthly meetings. Okay, I get it. How am I going to keep track of all this? Easy. Sign up for Minnesota Atheist Meetup Group and subscribe to AWE. What's a meetup group? Meetup is an online networking site that helps people build communities. We have over 700 members with at least two events every week. And what is AWE? It stands for Atheist Weekly Email. It comes out every Friday and lists everything that's going on. How do I sign up? Go to the Minnesota Atheists website, minnesotaatheists.org. On the left, click on the words Get Awe Inspired. And for the meetup? Look for the red meetup badge on the right. Above it are the words, click here to check out the meetup group. I'm sold. Minnesota Atheists, Meetup, and AWE. What's that website again? MinnesotaAtheists.org. 
Welcome back to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You're tuned into in Atheist Talk, and I'm your host, Hertzie Hertz, in studio with Travis Peterson. And via Skype is Andrew Seidel, the author of Founding Myths. If you're curious about Minnesota Atheists, you can check out the Minnesota Atheist website. We have previous episodes. You can browse articles, book reviews, and peruse the candle calendar of upcoming events. You can also sign up for the Atheist Weekly email, which will tell you, give you links to upcoming events. Then we have tons of activities going around the Twin Cities and outlying suburbs. For example, let's see, we have Pride coming up next, I think is our big one. We also have the Free Thought Picnic, which is next weekend. And not no, that's the Camp Quest picnic that's next weekend. Right afterwards, we will be working on our first Pride float. We are super excited about this. We can definitely use more hands to help make light work. So if you are available next Sunday afternoon, check out the picnic and the float before afterwards. If you enjoy the show and all that Minnesota Atheist has to offer, consider becoming a member of Minnesota Atheist while you're on the website. Membership has some great perks. Check out the hows and the whys on the website. And now back to our conversation with Travis and Andrew. Well, Andrew, I you know I couldn't get you on here and not like pick your lawyery brain uh, about <laughs> about the future. So, what what are we? What are the things that you are keeping your eye on? Like what? Like in, in the legal aspect, what what do we need to be paying attention to? I mean, right now, the wall of separation between state and church is uh, under the biggest threat that I think it's ever faced. I think we can fairly say that there are five members on the Supreme Court that want to tear down that metaphorical wall. Um, and they are making, have made in the past already, the past couple of years, some very alarming decisions, throwing away some of our most hallowed principles. For instance, that you cannot tax citizens and then turn around and give that money to religious ministries for any reason. Uh, that that principle was thrown under the bus recently. It could could get worse in the future. Uh, there's another case that we're going to hear from the court either tomorrow or one of the next three some one of the next three Mondays, and they're going to decide about this 40 foot cross on public land. And depending on what they do, it could be a, a massive hole in the wall of separation between state and church. Well, like in your book, you talk about. Uh, um the, the small stuff, you know, like like some, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. a lot of people are going to say, oh, yeah, the God on the money and, and you know, a, a cross on the things. But but those are the wedges, right? They, they are. It, and it, it's actually incredibly important to challenge those small things. And I've, I've given a talk on this. I think people could find it online. It's something it is something like why we need to sweat the small stuff, because if you look at what our courts are doing, they are using little violations of the First Amendment to justify much bigger violations. Oh, because that's how the law works. You get precedent, and then you can cite precedent back on a on another case, right? Like you could, like we, if we make the wrong decision here, it's easy to use that decision against us in the future on a much larger thing. Exactly, and it operates in this particular area of the law. Like I, I, the analogy I use in the book is either a noose or a ratchet. Where once it gets tighter and you allow one violation, it's really, really difficult to undo that. Uh, and and the, the second part of why it's important to challenge these things too is because they are symbols. And I think that we we ignore the power of symbols at our own peril, right? I mean, uh, Greta Christina once wrote something along the lines of that. Um, Segregated drinking fountains and lunch counters weren't the biggest problems facing the civil rights movement, uh, but they were important because they are symbolic and it allows you to go after the bigger issue. And this, what we are fighting for is a secular government. And there, there's no such thing as the freedom of religion without a government that is free from religion. So if we don't have a secular government, nobody has true religious liberty in this country. Uh, so everybody really ought to be joining the Freedom From Religion Foundation in this fight. Uh, it, it, it's it's a crucial fight, and uh, it is just as much in jeopardy as uh, the right to choose is. Yeah, where Rosa Parks sat on the bus for her wasn't the biggest issue. It was where she had to sit on the bus was the issue for everyone involved. Well, it exactly. was also the factor that... At that time, even if you were in the back of the bus, if a white man demanded your seat, you were supposed to give it up. Yeah, you you gave it up. Well, and that and that would be the the, the white nationalists of today, you know, demanding to, for us to give up our seat or or you know our our rights to to go back to this glory day of of when Christian nationalism was or when Christians ruled the roost, I guess, right? And we need big yeah. quotes around glory day. Yeah, yeah. 
And and there is a massive overlap between Christian nationalism and white nationalism. Um, I mean, the Venn diagram for those two do, really does come close to looking like a circle. And I, I go over a lot of that in the book and explain why that's why that's the case. Um. Well, you know, like as, as far as the court cases go, that we need to be that we need to be you know watching and 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 stuff like that. Like the. We're we're past the the curve on this. Like like the the wedges have been driven. They've been driven, you know, for the last you know fifty years. And now now we're these are the important things. Like we're getting to the big ticket items. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I and uh, you know, I'm sure people out there are starting to get scared based on this part of the conversation. And right, you should be. Yeah, that was my point. point. I want people to you, pay attention to this. You should you should be scared. But there, are, I mean, there are things that you can do. Uh, you know, you should join the Freedom from Religion Foundation. Um, if FFRF is not your cup of tea, uh, join American Humanists or Americans United, ACLU. If you can join them all, uh, we really need your support now more than ever. And not just because we need dues, but we need you to join your voice with our voice. Um, this, the second thing people can do is they really ought to read. I don't care if you buy The Founding Myth. My publisher hates it when I say that. I just want you to read it. Go to the library and get it. Um, familiarize yourself with the arguments in there, not just the facts, the better arguments that are in there. And do not let Christian nationalist rhetoric stand anywhere you hear it. You've got to push back against it. And the third thing that I want to encourage everybody listening to do is to run for office. You know, I, I know a lot of people out there are reluctant to do so, thinking, you know, how could I run for office? I don't, I'm not qualified. Look at the people in our government. Yeah, that right ship has sailed. Uh, the, you, Donald you Trump are, is the president. <laughs> you are 100% more qualified than anybody who's running your school board or city council right now. So go run for office as an open non-believer. And you may not win, but you'll pave the way for others. And I mean, this is one of the reasons that Christian nationalism has been so successful. They encouraged everybody to run for school boards and city councils a long time ago. And now that they have these politicians that are experienced that are running for higher and higher and higher offices. And now they've captured uh, the highest offices in the land. I was going to say, I, I'm not going to say I'm speaking for all of the millennials, but I know for many of us, myself included, it's like I've looked at it and I'm like, I don't know if I could afford to because first you have to get this money to, to run and then you have to – and I know that you know when you hit national senators and such, you're, you're going to yeah. get a decent salary. But on the state legislative level, I'm like – a lot of yeah, the I mean, people who do that, they have, you know, boards. Don't start and, at don't start at the top though. Don't don't start at the start local. And city? there are there are a million reasons not to run, but you only need one good reason to run. And I would really encourage everybody to think about doing that. It is. Oh, Andrew. We might have lost him. We dropped him a few times earlier. Okay. Well, I think, you know, to finish off his point, you know, to about running for, for office, you know, even if you can't afford to do it, you can find somebody who you, you know, you can get behind and support those people. You know, getting in at the grassroots on this is, is extremely important to, to stem the tide of, of what's happening. And there actually is an organization that is out there to oh, help. I'm back. Oh, you're back. Yay. Sorry. Well, sorry. And it's, we have 15 seconds. So I do apologize. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. For those of you who are thinking about running, do so. If you're in Minnesota, let us, let Minnesota Atheists know we cannot technically support someone who's running because we are 501c3. However, we can at least, you know, know you're there. Have a great day.